Hey, good morning to those of you who are part of our ongoing online community. Good morning to those of you who are we had a graduation party this weekend or were up at the cabin. Hey, good morning to those of you who are taking a look at us for the first time. Maybe you're looking for a church home in your area and you came across us. Good morning to, to all of you. It's great to be here with you this morning. And wow, what, what a fantastic season we're in right now where we're able to do some things that we haven't been able to do for more than a year. I think about that that state fair, a little experience that they just had. We had a chance to go to that. We had a chance to, to celebrate my daughter's graduation with a great big old party. My youngest daughter, her soccer team, were able to play now, they're able to play, without masks. And how fun is that for them? Last weekend, I was able to officiate a wedding where now the the bride and the groom could see the smiles of the 150 people that were there in that chapel with them. And then this coming week, I'm able to officiate a a, a funeral and the family doesn't have to make those gut-wrenching decisions about who can and who can't be there. As the world around us begins to talk about getting back to normal. One of the things that we've been talking about since January is how for us, back to normal would be a step backwards. God graciously increased our capacity during COVID and expanded our vision and accelerated the timeline on some things that normally would have taken a lot longer for us to do. And here we are. We're talking about phase two of this studio project. We're talking about launching a second site right here on Sunday mornings this fall. We're, we're going to be helping our friends in Juarez rebuild after that devastating fire. And we're going to bring more people this year to camp than ever before. And we're even going to try to raise up something we're calling blameless ambassadors in every state in the United States. So this new season of a new normal, it's about to begin here and really hit fast next week as we we go back to outdoor services. And this time we're doing it not because we have to, but because we want to, because those outdoor services really blessed a whole lot of people. Knowing that we're about to enter a season, unlike any we've experienced before, we thought it'd be a good idea to call a huddle as a church family. This is part three of a three-part series called Build With Us. And the conversation that we're having in this little series, the one that's gonna, this is it, last week of this, it's about how do we get from where we are now to where we wanna be this fall? How do we get from here to there? Because next week, it's game on. So let's learn as much as we can here today. The place that we've been turning for wisdom during this little short series, during this huddle, is from the book of Nehemiah. And that's what we found, this advice that is so practical. Advice like this, instruction, I should say, would be a better better way uh, of saying it. The book of Nehemiah illustrates what can happen when we pray. Prayer is like getting the blueprints. It illustrates what can happen when we all give. Give, that's, that's how we acquire the materials that we need. And then Nehemiah shows and illustrates what happens when we all serve. The serving, that's how the stuff gets done. Now, as we look at this list, pray, give, serve, there's nothing so shocking or too shocking here. In fact, I'm gonna make up the stat here on the spot, but my guess is that if you asked all the churches in Minnesota, 
Do you ever challenge your people to give or to serve or to, to pray? I would say about 90% would say yes. But what did we learn last week? What percentage of churches in our state are either stalled out or declining? About 90%. So let that sink in for just a minute. About one, no, about nine, about nine out of 10 of churches that, that once had these buildings that were built because there was people that were being drawn to what was happening there. About nine out of 10 churches are either plateaued or declining. They're becoming a little bit emptier each year. And just as tragically, all around the country, what's missing in many churches isn't the people. What's missing is the Bible. Or what's missing is the Holy Spirit. Or what's missing is authentic discipleship. So it seems like there's still more for us to learn because it seems like pray, give, and serve isn't the complete list. So let's go back to the Nehemiah narrative. Let's see what we can learn. And as I was praying this week, here's a thought that came into my head as we go back to our text. If you're taking notes, there's a place to write this down. As we study the book of Nehemiah, shouldn't we reflect on why the walls came down in the first place? And they didn't just come down once. What happened after Nehemiah and the people rebuilt them? 400 years later, they were torn down again. So how does this happen? How, how does a building project, whether in the time of Nehemiah or, or our time, how does a building project was once on mission become an empty shell of what it once was or come crashing down? So let's go back in time. If we're going to understand Nehemiah, let's go back in time to one of the most pivotal passages in the entire Old Testament. If you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And if you don't have a Bible at home, there's a great free Bible app you can find at uversion.com. All right, here we go. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is hard to overestimate the importance of that scripture right there. And its placement is very interesting. There are two narratives that come right before this one that we just read about Abram. One is the account of Noah and his family and their descendants. And then the other is a, an account that we call the Tower of Babel. In the Noah account, humanity got to this point where every intention of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. That doesn't sound good. These people who were living like this, they fell under God's judgment. And it was only Noah and his family that emerged from that. Well, it wasn't long after Noah and his family emerged that the world began to repopulate. And as they did, here's what these people set out to do. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for who? For themselves. All right, 
What comes after these two narratives? The next thing that comes is the account of Abram. And some scholars, they they see this account of Abram, they say it's almost like another Noah emerging from the ark. But this one's even more significant. In the wake of these people trying to make a name for themselves, God says, that's not how this works. And he selects Abram and he says, Abram, I'm gonna make your name great. The promise is that he makes to Abram in this passage, they're structured around two commands, to leave and to be a blessing. Those are the two things that Abram was supposed to do, to leave and to be a blessing. Let's start with that leave part. Why, what did Abraham have to leave behind? And I was gonna say a lot, but then I was like, oh, I remember that Abram had a nephew. Sam, what was Abraham's nephew's name? Do you remember that? It was, it was Lot. Yeah, so Lot went with him, so I can't really say that. So let me amend what I was going to say then. And Abram isn't leaving a lot behind. He was going to have to leave behind the sources that in his culture told him, this is where you find your identity. You're going to have to leave that behind. This is where you find your security. You're going to have to leave that behind. Things like his inheritance, things like his right to land and property. You're going to have to leave that behind and you're going to have to trust my word. And that's not all. Scripture helps us understand scripture. Take a look at this. Here's what it says in Joshua 24, 2, which comes long after this event. And Joshua says to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers, what does it say? Served other gods. Abram was one of the names listed in that passage. Joshua uses the name Abraham, which Abram was later, his name changed to. So, Abram, if he was gonna be true to the word of God, he was gonna need to leave his sources of identity and security behind. He had to also leave then all other gods, all other idols, all other things that he wanted to bring with him that would challenge the place of God in his life. And he needed to do those if he was gonna place his trust in the word of the Lord. If we are gonna place our trust in the word of the Lord, what must we do as well? Leave all other gods behind. I said there were two commands that were given to Abram. One was leave, we just talked about that. The other was what, does anyone remember? To be a blessing, to be a blessing. Let's look at how that word bless is reinforced. Go back to our text here, we're gonna highlight the word bless. Look at this, bless, bless, blessing, bless, bless, blessed. And as you explore this text even more in context, and when you look at what follows, this wasn't just a call for one man to go out and be a blessing and make a difference. Everything about this text and its context screams that was God, what God was doing, was doing more than calling one man. He was calling Abraham to become this father of a great nation. There, it, the, the context of this was to be a community that was set apart. Okay, let's see if we can bring all these pieces together. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The nation of Israel began with a call to leave and to be a blessing as a compelling community. That was their call. Leave, be a blessing as a community that's compelling. Did they remain faithful to that call? No. Over time, instead of being this community, community that, was, that left and was a blessing, was set apart, they began to just look like the rest of the nations, the people, the cultures around them. 
The stories of how God had been at work in the past, they were forgotten and the scriptures were unread. One false prophet after another assured everybody, oh, it's gonna be okay. And when true prophets would speak up, they would be silenced by any means necessary. That is what led to the walls of Jerusalem being destroyed. Not just once, but twice. Anyone see any parallels today? To churches today? Ever lose, lose touch with their roots, the very things that brought life? Do voices today ever try to assure everybody it's okay when it's not? Do people today ever try to silence the voices of people who raise concerns? And is it getting harder to distinguish churches from the political parties of our day or the gods of this age or the culture that surrounds us? Nation of Israel, it began with a call to leave and be a blessing as a compelling community. I put a question in your notes I find very convicting. How often are we tempted to stay? And how often do we say, I wanna be blessed as an individual? If we're not careful, we're gonna be pulled to a church where a life coach could take my place and nobody would notice. Or a politician could take my place and nobody would notice. Or a Pharisee could take my place and no one notice. If we're not careful, we're gonna drift one of those directions or another one. And this temptation is not unique to us. Every generation from the time of Abram on was tempted by that pull to be like the others around them, to, to conform. 500 years ago, here's a quote from 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote these words, promise and faith, they belong what? They belong together. He didn't write those words because everyone got it. Again, this is something every generation struggles with. Here are some new findings. In fact, I just read these findings. This is from one of the latest studies by sociologist Christian Smith. I saw this for the first time on Wednesday. In the United States, religion has fundamentally changed. Look at this, from quote, a communal solidarity project to a quote, personal identity accessory. That's a big change. If you do even a surface reading of Nehemiah, you're gonna see Nehemiah understood what it was that happened, what it was that led to the ruins of Jerusalem. And even again, just a surface reading, you see that Nehemiah is gathering the people and he's, he's, they're praying prayers of repentance. They're, Nehemiah has this huge emphasis on, we gotta bring the scriptures back to the forefront. And he insisted, we've got to abide by the laws that God's given us. I want to encourage you, read the rest of Nehemiah. We got through one through, was it one through three, one through four. I want to invite you, read the rest of Nehemiah on your own. But because time's limited, what I'm going to do right now, let me summarize. Let me summarize Nehemiah's perspective like this. And there's a place to write this down. Rebuilding the walls was more than a construction project. It was a recommitment to the covenant that God had initiated. Nehemiah, he was in. Abram, he was in. Let's go back to Genesis one more time to verse four. Let's see what it says here about Abram when he got this call that was a call to, to, to leave everything. 
So Abraham went with them and the Lord had told him and he took a lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. All right, so here he is, 75. He's an established, prosperous person. He may have felt very content with the gods that he had, but when the Lord spoke to him, he left his old ways behind to follow and trust the word of the Lord. He became the father of a new nation that was set apart as God's own. There are those who believe that if God calls you, that God's blessings are always gonna look like the blessings that people in the world think are blessings. Health, wealth, comfort. Was that the case for Abram? Did Abram always receive those things? I recently was reading a book by a Harvard professor, and this guy's also a clinical psychologist. I'm not sure if he considers himself a Christian, but in his book, he wrote how that story of Abram the more he studies it, the more it impacts him at a deep, profound level. He said at its core, what he sees in that story of Abram is a reality-based combination of what he calls pessimism and realistic, genuine encouragement. The pessimism he sees, he says, here's a situation where somebody was called by God himself. And yet, even though that's the case, life wasn't just difficult. It was extremely difficult. But here's the encouragement he sees. He sees this, he says, these challenges, people forget. These are the very challenges that can transform us. So, what about you? Are you willing to leave other gods behind? Are you willing to commit to say, I'm in on blessing others? And are you willing to say, yeah, I'm gonna do it as part of a community. Imagine what we can build together if all of us pray, but don't stop there. Give, but don't stop there. Serve, but don't stop there. We bless. We go and we bless others. It's a whole lot easier to just stay and ask to be blessed and make everything about ourselves, right? But that's not the life we were created for. When I was in my early 20s, I was asked to serve on the board of a camp where we brought a whole lot of teens. And and I thought this is pretty cool because I'm able here on this board to to be part of a team where we can say, here's how we spend the money. Here's what improvements we make at this, this camp. And in the main lodge, there was a room in the back that was barely used for anything. And I thought, here's a great idea. Let's transform that space. Let's make that be a space where all of the leaders that go to camp, we can come and we can put couches in there and an air conditioner in the corner and maybe even a fridge. And this can be just a great place for us as leaders to come and and to spend time together. And the wiser, more seasoned members of the board... (laughs) They didn't think that was such a good idea. And maybe you can see why. Why were we at camp in the first place? We weren't there to huddle in a back room, were we? We were there to bless the campers. It's so easy, especially now, for us anyway, we've got this great space. It's so easy for for churches to, to become just like what I wanted for that back room, right? That's why I want to add one more word, an important word to this list. Imagine what we can build together if we all pray and don't stop there, we give, and don't stop there, we serve, and don't stop there, we bless, and we don't stop there, we also invite. 
friends, we are building something really, really special here. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Outdoor services begin next week. What times? Anyone remember? New times, 9 and 10.30. This is a great time to invite others to join us. You know, and churches like this one are, are becoming one of the few places where the people we invite, they can have substantive conversations about really hard topics. It is getting harder and harder to find places where it is safe to ask questions and safe to share opinions. It is getting harder and harder to find communities that are more concerned, more concerned with truth than they are about other agendas. This is a place here at our church. We're trying really hard to go to the scriptures with humility rather than with arrogance. This is a place we're trying really, really hard to try to learn from one another as you may see things in the Bible that I missed. And I might see things that you've missed. This is a place where what we don't want to do is to create our own DIY Jesus. We want to, we want to learn about the real Jesus and model lives that, that honor him. And this is a place where we want to acknowledge that we all got stuff. And what we do here at this church, instead of feeling people have to hide it, this is a place where we're cheering one another on as we try to build God-honoring lives. All right, here's my point. Is a church like this able to bless anybody else? Do you know anyone who might be blessed by a community like this? Well, if so, let's keep building this and let's invite others to join us. Here's another thing. It's getting harder and harder to find communities that still believe it's possible to disciple kids and teens. I see more and more churches. They're playing that whole false prophet role. And they're telling today's young people, hey, you don't have to. And these are church people. You don't have to leave your other gods, your other idols behind. Or other thing that's happening. We're confusing as churches. Entertainment with discipleship or attendance with discipleship or just giving up altogether. Does anyone know anyone who would be blessed if there was a place where their kids could make real friends and foster real faith? A place where they're known and loved and challenged? Then let's keep building this and let's invite others to join us. And in an age, oh, Sam, I'm gonna try really hard not to just start yelling at the camera here. <laughs> Sam's seen me rant off camera on this. In an age where people hashtag something or they post something or they yell at somebody and then they say, I'm making a positive difference in the world. What we're committed to doing here is actually doing something. For example, I recently read of a story about a farmer in Texas. His farm is right there on the border between Texas and Mexico. He's lived there about 70 years. And he said in 70 years, he's never seen things as bad as they are right now. In fact, earlier this year, he came across five Latina girls, ages 11 months to uh, what was seven years old. And they were out there in the middle of nowhere alone. They had been abandoned possibly just left to die and probably would have died if the farmer hadn't found them. There is a place, a hill on the Mexican side of the border. Manuel Children's Home. Been working with them for 35 years, partnering with them for 35 years. And it is a place where kids can have a safe 
place to live and food to eat and medicine and an education and people who love them and care for them and teach them about Jesus. I've seen the lasting impact Emmanuel Children's Home can have on their lives. And as I mentioned at the front end of this message, after a devastating fire, we're going to help them rebuild. We're going to partner with them in mission. And that's just one of many partnerships that we have that's bringing real hope and real healing to a broken world. Does anyone know anyone who wants to do more than hashtag and wants to do more than yell at people? that wants to do more than the round up for charity thing about to a charity you don't even know when you go to buy a bag of chips. Does anyone know anybody who would love to actually partner with people who are helping the homeless and helping the abused and helping the traffic? Does anyone know anyone who'd want to partner with agencies that are identifying and equipping missionaries and sending them and more? Then let's keep building these partnerships and let's invite people to join us. All right. One last thing we're encouraging you to write down. And then we're breaking this huddle. We're going to go off and do these things. Here it is. Let's build something worth telling others about and let's tell others about it. Let's commit or let's recommit to leaving behind the things we should leave behind. And let's commit to being a blessing to others together. Caitlin, after uh, the song, is going to be um, telling you about how you can grab one of these magnets. And we want to invite you to get one of these. Stick it on your fridge. Put it someplace you remember. It says, build with us. Pray, give, serve, bless, and invite. Let's do these things that we've learned about doing and the importance of that. And as we do, we're going to respond to an invitation that extends all the way from the old into the new. Look at this. Go and I will, saith the Lord in Genesis 12. And what did Jesus say when he arrived on the scene? Matthew 4, he said, follow me and I will. Let's take God at his word. Let's see what God will do when we pray and invite and serve and give and bless. Well, I was a coach for a lot of years. I said, we've got a huddle that we had a chance to do here. Now we're going to be going into outdoor services and all these things. So one of the things we used to do with my team, right before we charge on the field, we put hands in. So all hands in, in this room, here we go. Hands are in. If you're in, hands in. And we're going to say amen on three. Amen is a word that goes all the way back to scriptural times. It says, yes, be it so. So amen on three. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Amen.